Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. First, if you're listening to this uh, in early May, right after it was released, this is the week of my live show on Friday, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, presented by Amarillo National Bank and Texas Tech Physicians Pediatrics. Stay tuned for all the details. Those are coming later, or you can head to heyamarillo.live for ticket info, but it's coming up this week. This week's episode is supported by Wick Realty. I recorded every interview over the past year in my home studio. My family and I love our house, we love our neighborhood, and we're here because Wick Realty helped us sell our previous home and buy this one several years ago. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying, selling, if you're building, if you're looking for investment property, if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's Wick Realty. W-I-E-C-K. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Nail Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Street Volkswagen online at streetvw.com, to the running store Get Fit online at mygetfitplace.com, and to the American Quarter Horse Association online at aqha.com. And the May-June issue of Brick and Elm, by the way, just released this weekend, and it's the biggest issue in our history. So proud of this one. I love it. The cover is amazing. You can look for it at local retailers. Today's guest is Rosemary Robinson. Now, some of my favorite episodes of this podcast are the ones with a guest who isn't especially well-known, not a CEO, not a nonprofit executive but somebody that uh, I just think is interesting. And Rosemary definitely fits that description because she has such a cool story. She is an employee of the city of Amarillo, and the city believes she is the longest-serving employee in the city's history. Rosemary started at the Public Library in 1973. She was 21 at the time. She had just graduated from WT. She quickly moved into a job at the Amarillo Police Department and she has been working at APD ever since. She's worked under 11 different mayors and six police chiefs. I think that's incredible, and I think it's incredible that she's still working at age 71. And when I heard about this, I thought, okay, Rosemary needs to be on the show. So here's Rosemary Robinson. Rosemary Robinson, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jason, for asking. Yeah, absolutely. So the reason I asked is because you have worked for the city for 50 years, which I think is interesting. But before we talk about any of that, I just want to find out how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. And so what brought you to this area? Well, college. I was raised in a small town in McLean. And, okay. And then uh, if you wanted to go to college, it had to be you know somewhere away from there, of course. So I went to uh, WT and became a business major and studied there for four years. And then looking for jobs, the city gave me a chance because I went to a lot of people that said, you don't have any job experience. I thought, how do you get job experience if you don't get hired? And they hired me and I worked at the library when it was over at the, where the chamber is now. Okay. So you, you came to Amarillo, Mm -hmm. like, did you have much experience with Amarillo living in McLean? It's in the Panhandle, but it's pretty close to the border. I mean, was Amarillo where you came, you know, on weekends or for doctor's visits or anything like that? 
Really, it was a faraway town for us. Okay. Pampa is where we went. All right. That was our big city. Amarillo was just like, wow. Okay. The, <laughs> once, even in bigger. A while, once in a while you went there, but not very often. And then when I went to WT, of course, I stayed in Canyon. Right. Did you know, like when you went to WT to pursue a, a, a business degree, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do with that? Like, did you have a plan? Well, it was based on clerical, because back then that was considered a profession and you had to take typing at 60, 70, 80, mm-hmm. and shorthand was required. My job that I got. I had to have shorthand. Okay. That's definitely a, a lost yes, art. Yes, archaic. You don't, I still take notes with shorthand. Do you really? <laughs> yes. So you still use it? Yes. Um, so you said that you were at WT and, and you were, were looking for a job, got that first job at the city. What did you end up doing? Well, I worked at the, the library and I was in the catalog department and we okay. were in the basement. And that was like a physical card catalog yes, sort of yes, thing at that yeah, point. Yeah, we had to put the car- the index cards in the files and pull the ones where we didn't no longer had the books and stuff. So that was all manual. Okay. There's no computers back then. How many people did that? I mean, were you one of a team or was it, um, here, let's put the college students to work in the basement? You're talking about decades ago. <laughs> I'm thinking there was maybe 10 of us. Okay. And that was at the, the main downtown? Yeah. Was, then. Yes. How long did that last? Well, it lasted about five months because they were uh, going to build what's now the North Branch and the East Branch. So they were getting uh, rid of jobs because they were going to integrate them into those, those libraries and stuff. Okay. So I started looking around, and this job was open because my cousin had it. And what was that job? The, the one I have now. The one you have now. Yes. What was it called? I mean, do you remember... What the well, title was or what the... I think the organization was called the Potter Randall Metro Intelligence Unit. Back then it was two counties and mm-hmm. stuff, but it was based out of the city okay. police department. Did you know much about the job? I mean, since your cousin did it, did you have an idea of what... She told me a few things and I knew the people, which I think that helped me get the mm-hmm. job because they knew me before what, I was hired. What skills did you have that you thought, okay, this is this is a job that would work for me? Because... It wasn't archiving card catalog notations. Well, there's a lot more typing involved, you know, yeah. and that's what you know I had excelled at. And shorthand, I had to do minutes because we used to have a board, which was comprised of the police chiefs in Canyon and Amarillo and the two sheriff's office. Okay. And we had uh, board meetings once a month, so I had to do the stats every month and then take the minutes and set up the board meetings. So it was for that organization as opposed to APD... Alone. APD was a Correct. part of it. It was a grant. Okay. Because I was on a grant for like 20-something years. We okay. had grants. And it, does does that exist in any way at this point, that organization that sort of, you know, allowed that collaboration between all the different agencies? It's now just, you know, the police department okay. by itself. But at one time, because of grants, they wanted us to encompass 28 counties. So we wow. had to do that. And that was really interesting because you had to get uh, uh, agreements and stuff with the different sheriffs and and chiefs for your people to even come into their counties and Mm. work drugs. So what did you do? What was your day-to-day like there at the beginning in the early days? Uh, The early days, it was lots and lots of typing. I guess that's why the speed came in handy because you had to type everything and you sure didn't want to make a lot of errors. On manual typewriters. Well, we actually had an electric typewriter. Yay. I mean, I learned to type on a, a manual typewriter like that too, and uh, so I, I know what that's like. You, you mess mm-hmm. up, and you got to redo it. Mm-hmm. And of lots cases. of paperwork because we had files and stuff. We put all our 
cases in and everything and kept up with all the cases. So just lots and lots of typing. Who did you interact with the most? Was it a lot of phone calls with various agencies or was it mostly within the office? Well, we do have phone calls from other agencies because they're checking to see if we have anything on a certain individual mm-hmm. that they don't have. And of course, everybody in the office, you're looking stuff up for them. What did you like about that that first position uh, in that capacity? Well, it's still kind of the same position I have, you know. But it's changed now, a lot. But it's evolved. Tell me back- what you liked about it back then, because I, I think we always kind of changed to adapt to whatever our jobs require. And I know the requirements mm-hmm. were different back then. Yes. You know, a lot hasn't changed because I still do some research mm-hmm. on names and stuff like that. In fact, I found a name of a homicide suspect one time by looking through some of our prostitution files. Okay. So it's, you know, the typing's decreased a lot, and that's been nice. And you don't have to use carbon paper to make a copy anymore, so that's nice. You had to become computer literate, though, I imagine, in the process. Computer classes I had at WT were non-existent use now because you were using those cards. Mm -hmm. The punch cards? Yes, the punch cards, yeah. So everything, I just had to learn everything from scratch just on the job. Yeah, I was going to say, what did that look like? Was there certain, you know, suddenly a day where they said, okay, we're going to take this typewriter away, and now you've got this <laughs> desktop computer Hey, I still out? have a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the only one in the city that has a typewriter, which you know, I do little labels if you want to do fast labels and stuff on. But I don't know exactly when computers evolved their way in, into it so much like they are now. Mm-hmm. You know, being there 50 years, it's like, when did that happen? But, you know, I learned it and had to take some classes. The city paid for you to take, you know, like the word classes. And back then it was called Data Ease. I think it's Excel now. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they paid for you to yes. take night classes at AC or, or something well, like they, that? Well, we even went during work hours, you know. Okay. And it okay. was at AC, yes. How has your job changed since since you started at the very beginning? Besides well, the computer aspect of it. I mean, has, mm-hmm. has police work changed? I, I know the... The organization that sort of oversaw it has has transitioned. Mm-hmm, because now we don't have a grant, so it's just us police officers, so I don't have to worry about other officers from other towns keeping up with mm-hmm. their—we had to reimburse them for their salaries and stuff while they were part of the grant. Now it's just uh, the local people, and we keep up with the, all the IPD cases. It's just as interesting. I still have to research things once in a while, and— and I have other things to do. You know, I, I help prepare the cases now for the officer to take a little load off of them. Okay. Because I always thought that's what typewriting was about, you know, us doing that, was take the load off the officers, and now they're having to type their reports. Right. <laughs> so you're, you're like, literally assisting them and Right. Some of that. So I just do as much prep work as I can for them. So all they have to do is worry about downloading the things that they have to download for okay. cases. And then we have a, a radio that we use. Where, where the guys are out and they want to run tags or see if somebody's wanted. We have our own okay. encrypted radio. And you help with, with some of that? Oh, yes, yes. And that gives you access to like a, a lot of different, you know, screens, statewide screens, databases, yes, and multiple yes, screens. and Multiple all those. screens looking up in different places, the information they need about that individual. One of the things that, that caught my attention is that, number one, it's rare for somebody to work for the same organization for 50 years these days, much less, you know, 20 years or 30 years. And I wonder if, if you can look back and say, okay, 
you know, not just working for the police department, but working for the city of Amarillo for that long. Is, is there something specific about your job that kept you there for that long? Did you ever think, oh, I'm going to mm. go find something that maybe requires me to type less or <laughs> that maybe that pays differently? I mean, did you ever look at that? Or Well, I know that I had some opportunities to go in the oil and gas field, but you know how that has fluctuated over the years. And it has. I know the city's always going to be there in one shape, form, or the other. And then, you know, I kind of had to redefine my job from when I started. And, you know, it, it became more interesting, like doing the research and looking things up and, you know, different things like that, other than just typing all the time. There, Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of jobs that if, if you're in an administrative or a secretarial position that does feel like typing, that might feel like meaningless sort of paperwork, but your paperwork mm -hmm. is helping the police department right. protect the city or solve crimes or, or whatever. I mean, did you feel sort of that sense of, I don't know, camaraderie with APD or, or ownership of some of the work that they did? I guess, you know, sometimes I type all back when I was typing and they'd go out and do a big bust back in the day. You know, they'd arrest 30 people at a time. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting because I had to get all the information on these people, like where they might live, you know, different things like that. You felt like you're you're sort of part of that team, although yes. in the background, yes. in a desk. In I'm the, the corner, safe part of the team. Yeah, the safest <laughs> part of the team. When you look back, um, you know, 50 years working for uh, a single employer, uh, and most of most of it in the same place. Like, do you right. feel some accomplishment? Do you think okay, that's that's a meaningful thing that that you did? You know, I guess, you know, you get used to it. You, every day you get up and you go and stuff, and you never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes that a little interesting. Some days it's kind of mundane and same old thing over and over, and then some days, like, you're constantly on the radio or you're constantly looking something up or the phone rings off the wall. You just never know what's going to happen, and I think that's part of the uh, mystique about the job. Tell me about working for the city because you did not grow up in Amarillo. You sort of ended up here just because... That's where your first job was, but you've lived here ever since. What has kept you sort of connected to Amarillo, not just because that's who you work for? Like, what do you love about the city? Mm -hmm. Well, when I moved here, of course, I didn't know anybody other than, you know, you became friends with the people at work. And then you join different things to meet other people and stuff like you know, people at work, we got on a softball team. Okay. And we got, were able to interact with each other. And then I was able to meet other people playing softball and other people playing volleyball and got involved in that. And then I joined a women's service organization and got involved in that. So through that, you just expand your center of people that you know. And I'd go to the mall sometimes and somebody says, you know, everybody here. And I thought, I didn't even grow up here. <laughs> That's true. You knew everybody, the, the people at the mall and also the, people the bad like, guys. The people right? that like the shop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. You One of the things I remember seeing uh, when I first heard your story was that, you know, you were celebrating 50 years, but you weren't interested in retiring. Tell me about that. Like, do you, do you feel like you've still got several years of, of work left in you? Well, I don't want to put a number on it because mm -hmm. you don't know. You know, something could change tomorrow or or, you know, next year. Right now, I'm not thinking about it. You know, it's not like I'm trying to superset a record, you know. Right. But it's just, you know, as long as, you know, I'm okay with it and not depressed or upset or burn out, I think mm -hmm. that would be the big one, burn out. I'm good with it. How many police chiefs have you worked under, do you know? I don't know, I think seven. 
does a police chief, does it change sort of what, maybe not what your job is, but maybe the culture of, of the APD and of where you work? Like, do they have an influence on what it's like at work? Really, we don't see much of them. Okay. You know, because we're on like on the second floor, which is closed off. I, I wondered how much of an impact, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the personality or the focus or, or some of the different attributes of a chief might have on the organization as mm -hmm. a whole. It probably affects the guys more than the civilians, maybe, okay. you know, if they you know, want to change policies or something like that. You know, we pretty much just do our job that we've always done. You have an idea how many civilians work for APD? No. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen the numbers, but I don't offhand. I don't it's know. A, it's a, a sizable number of people, though. It, it might be might be surprising. I think to everybody who thinks, well, APD is only the people in uniform. When there's a right, a, a lot of lot civilians, of, and you know, and I don't know how much dispatch has. They have mm -hmm. quite a few over there. I wonder, having worked, you know, for APD, which is dealing with maybe the the less sunny side of Amarillo, you know, the stuff that you don't put in the, the Chamber of Commerce brochures. <laughs> um, has that changed how you think about the city? As somebody who is involved and who goes to the mall and plays on the sports teams, mm -hmm. like, do you, does it color your perspective of the community at all? Yeah, I never worried about, you know, going and doing all these things and stuff, but it made me very worried. It's coming from a small town where back then we didn't even lock our doors. Sure. Houses, much less our cars. And when I started working for the police department, I was very wary of stuff that could happen. And it makes you kind of look around mm -hmm. and be a little bit more cautious as far as being scared to go outside or go to something. Uh, no, it never did affect me. Does working for the city help you think about the city in a new way? You know, I, I think a lot of people live here, but don't ever think about the city government. You know, maybe they hear of a, a mayor election or something, but they don't really think about those services, and you're involved with those on a daily basis. Like, do you? Does it give you a better perspective, maybe, of what the city does? Yes, and and the uh, the offices that I uh, interact with, you know, like I know people in accounting and purchasing that that help us out a lot. You know, that some of the departments I don't really know the people there because mm -hmm. we don't really interact with them. Once you do get to a place where you think about retirement, do you think you'll stay around here? Uh, I would think so. I can't, you know, going back to McLean, when you're used to having the services you have here, mm -hmm. you know, you appreciate it more. I wonder if you were to, well, let's say a lot of my listeners are younger and, you know, they're trying to figure out what they want to do and they you know, might think, well, I'll work for somebody for five years. I'll work for another company for five years. I'll kind of climb my way up the ladder. What's what's the pitch for finding something that you enjoy and that you do well and kind of sticking with it for a long time? I think if you have some input in how your job evolves, that helps out a lot. If mm -hmm. you're just saying this is it and that's it, then, you know, it's not going to evolve and you might get burnt out or not like it. Yeah. But if you have some say maybe in how something's done, I think that would help you help evolve that job and maybe stay stay on it because you feel like you had a part of discovering it. Okay. And sort of creating it as it yes. as it changes. Because every job's gonna evolve, you know, yeah. is, is gonna change. Just to close out, I I wanna give listeners an idea of what you do now, like on a daily basis. And I know every day is gonna be different, but let's say we're recording this toward the beginning of the week. What are some of the things that you're going to work on this week? 
that you know about? Well, everything that's very basic is you always do the payroll, okay. which we have a Kronos program and we do the payroll. And then credit cards. All, all our guys have credit cards, so you have to keep up with that. Okay. And then you check the cases every day and keep up with them. You have to run criminal histories on everybody arrested and prepare the case for the officer. And then we keep a log of every case we have, so you have to log that. And then between whatever happens that day, you fit it in. Okay. So it's everything from managing the credit cards to managing criminal cases, I guess. Correct. On a daily correct. Basis. It's a variety. It's not just, you know, clerical stuff. It's mm-hmm. also the criminal part of it, too. How many people do you work with in your department? Let's see. We have SWAT as part of our office also, and there's like eight of them, and then I think we have about 15 agents and supervisors on the narcotics side. Okay. Last thing I wanted to ask is, is what do you love about Amarillo? You've planted yourself here for so many years, not just working for the city, mm-hmm. but living in the city. Like, why do you love it here? I think Amarillo is, it's big enough to have a lot of things, but it's small enough to get around or figure out how to get around in. So you're not confused all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that aspect of it, that it has a lot of things. You know, you, when you're from a little town, you have a lot of nothing. You know, right. you have the Dairy Queen or something, and then you come to uh, Amarillo, and it's like, wow, it's a big city to me, and the people that grew up here, it's probably not, but to me, it is a big city. So this is the week of my Hey Amarillo live show. We're celebrating 300 weekly episodes of this podcast. The celebration, the live show recording, is this Friday, May 5th, at the newly renovated Arts in the Sunset. It starts at 7 p.m. You can come a little bit early if you want to for the first Friday art walk. I guarantee you're going to enjoy that. And then head over to the Horizons West event room within Sunset for the show. Tickets are $24.99, and that includes bar service. So there are drinks included from my friends at Sips and Giggles. They'll be serving beer, wine, and a specialty hay margarita because it's Cinco de Mayo. If you listen to this podcast, look, I, I want to meet you. This live episode recording is going to be so much fun. We're going to have former guests there. We'll have longtime listeners like you. I'm going to have a special mystery interview guest. I guarantee you're going to want to hear from this person. It's going to be really such a great night. Reserve your tickets now at heyamarillo.live. That's heyamarillo.live for the 300th episode. The Hey Amarillo Live show is presented by Amarillo National Bank and Texas Tech Physicians Pediatrics. Go to heyamarillo.live for tickets. And just, you know what? I, I know that Amarillo people are sort of notorious for waiting until the last minute. If you intend to come on Friday, go ahead and order your tickets now. That helps me plan for the number of people who are going to be here. Make sure I've got enough stuff. Um, So go ahead and get those tickets early if you can. Although there will be ticket sales at the door. Okay, I'm back with Rosemary Robinson. Rosemary, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas. And its collection includes a segment of rock with camel tracks that were discovered near Channing. Uh, those tracks are estimated to be two to five million years old. So I don't know if you ever saw any camels in McLean. I don't think. <laughs> no, uh, but that's a great museum. At <laughs> some point, there might have been some enchanting, apparently. But yeah, um, you can learn more about that and see those at panhandleplains.org. Okay, the first question is, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? 
Well, I hope it continues to keep growing and also that hopefully crime will go down, you know, just from my perspective. Of where make I your work. job easier, right? <laughs> yes. But those are two two things that I hope for. And, and get rid of the cones. Well, yeah, I understand <laughs> that. that will never happen, so. I, I, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Okay, other than wind, what does this area have too much of? You know, I don't think it has too much of anything because I hear people say, why don't we get this? Why don't we get that? So so I don't think there's too much of anything. Okay, except for the traffic cones. Yes, the traffic cones. That's temporary, right? What does this area not have enough of? You know, it has a lot of things. So, But uh, I keep hearing a lot of people, and I'm kind of interested, maybe if we get it H-E-B. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people are interested in, in that. The lady in my office, she like grew up in Houston, mm-hmm. and she loves H-E-B. People get really attached to their grocery stores like that. I was like, how's that different than any other store? Well, and, like, I, mm-hmm. and I've heard that because people who love HEB really want an HEB. People who have shopped at Trader Joe's, like really want Amarillo to have a Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like if we got those, people would be saying, well, it's, you know, I really love United and it's just not the same anymore. <laughs> um, so that, that's always a funny conversation. What's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? I think, like I said earlier, that it's, it's large enough to have a lot of things, you know, like hospitals, doctors and stuff, but it's small enough that you can get around and mm-hmm. figure out where they are. Yeah, I've had other guests tell me that, you know, they, they always, when they go out to the grocery store or someplace like that, they expect to see somebody they know. Um, because it's it's almost like it's small enough that you can right. still do that while still having all the big stuff. You don't, that doesn't happen in Dallas, you know. I'm sure. Uh, what's one local nonprofit you appreciate? Well, I really have three. Okay, I will take three. Because <laughs> I don't want to say one and ignore the others because they're all all uh, groups that I really uh, believe in. Okay. And one is Downtown Women's Center. They're a great organization, and they do so much for women with addictions. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, Sharing Hope Ministries, which I do a lot of uh, work for the ladies in prison and getting them out and getting them on the road to being self, self-sufficient. And then also CASA, okay, the Children's Advocacy Center. I've, de- I've been on a board for them before. So those are three, to me, great organizations that I've enjoyed working with and am still working with. Okay, with. That's, that's a great list. Uh, what's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Well, I don't do food trucks. I guess I need to start doing that. So it seems to be the thing to do. And local restaurants, I have a favorite for different types of food, you know, like burgers. I have these places and barbecues. I have these places. So the really there's not just just one. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this: what's what's your favorite burger place? I have two. I like Coyote Bluff and Blue Sky. Okay, uh, favorite barbecue? I like uh, I like Dyer's a lot for right. barbecue. Favorite Mexican food? I like Jorge's. Have I left out a major category? Yeah, really, favorite, major food favorite group. Favorite Thai place? I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, what's your favorite local coffee shop? And I don't drink coffee. Really? <laughs> I, I just, just never drank it, drank it growing up, so it's just not something I do. I just figured after 50 years in a police station, <laughs> you know, you would have learned to like coffee. No. That was part I've of I've made job. it a few times, but I'm not, <laughs> I don't drink it. You're not drinking it? Okay, uh, last mm. question is, when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Oh, uh, this uh, service club I'm in, uh, we uh, had a conference here, I think five or six years ago, and we uh, had it set up where we ate one of our meals out there, you know, and that's when they had that little maze 
I don't oh, yeah, know if they still the have that or not. Think, yeah, yeah, they had the maze back there and, and stuff. So we brought all the ladies here, and that's probably the last time I've okay. been out there. What was what was their perspective on it? Because it's definitely a place that caters to right. tourists. And they really outsiders. enjoyed it. You know, a lot of them had their picture taken in that big rocking chair. Uh-huh. And they enjoyed the maze and just the whole aspect. Because they're like from Missouri and Kansas and Oklahoma. Okay. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Well, I'd like to publicize my women's service club. It's okay. called Seroptimus. And it's a women's service club. And it, roughly speaking in Latin, means best for women. And we strive to... Uh, help us, especially single moms or our girls in high school. We have programs for them, and we try to help them finish their education to mm-hmm. where they can be on their own and, you know, raise their kids and get their kids back by the education that they receive. And then girls in high school that are at risk, we have a program called Dream It, Be It, where we have eight different sessions, and it's like, pressing on to them that if you can dream and believe in yourself, you can be anything you want to be. Okay. How often does that club get together as a service uh, We club? meet uh, twice a month. We have a program meeting and a business meeting, okay. and it's an international organization. Right. Yeah, it's 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 a major organization. I, I wonder if, like like a lot of organizations that are in the service area like that, if it's growing, the, the members are growing older without all the younger influx of people, and if, if that's the same with the Seroptimus Club. Yes, it has been, but we have a real good uh, membership chair, and she's gotten us a lot of new members recently, and a lot of them are younger. because Some of them are like us. That, like, I've been in part of the service chair for years and years because I believe that we need to do stuff, so mm-hmm. I set up a lot of the service uh, projects and stuff. So hopefully with these girls, maybe they'll give us some new ideas, stuff that we're not even thinking about. Right. Are there some benefits for for younger women to being on it? Uh, maybe maybe separate from the service aspect, like is there mentorship or connections or anything like that mm-hmm. that they might get? We're we're not mainly there for connection, like you know, women's network or something. Okay. We're there mainly for service, but they do get. We have officers and stuff, so it is a form of leadership that they can learn and evolve. There's different stages of uh, offices that you can hold and stuff, okay. and that's a great way to learn how to learn because I didn't have leadership qualities growing up. You know, I was like this shy, bashful person. So it, it helped me evolve a lot. Okay. Well, Rosemary Robinson, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for asking, Jason. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Rosemary for the interview and also to Dave Henry with The City for helping me set it up. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and to sponsors Wick Realty and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. I really hope to see you Friday at the Hey Amarillo 300th episode live show. Get your tickets today at heyamarillo.live. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you, so thank you for listening to it week in and week out. I really do appreciate it. And also to the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Hey Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burke, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 298. Look how close we are to 300. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week, or I'll see you on Friday. <laughs>